This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. How is your Thursday going? Um, it's my last day of my life pre-chickens. Tomorrow <laughs> I get chickens. So I'm, I don't know what my life is going to be like tomorrow, but I imagine it'll be better. I was amazed by the fact you put out on Facebook, I want to get chickens, anyone got a, anyone got a chicken house? And Toy turned up with one yes. half an hour later. Yep, and, um, and then he's bringing my chickens tomorrow. So um, then it's going to be um, socialising our Labrador with the chickens. That's going to be the fun part. But I hear they're all going to be called George. Yeah, that's our collective name for all our pets. So George Wolf meets George Cluckers. You have to be very careful with saying that bit. <laughs> and we're also joined, not in Sawyers Bay, but not very far from Sawyers Bay, in St Leonard's, we are joined by Andrew Perkins. Kia ora, Andrew. Kia ora. Samuel and Maria. Kia ora, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So, how did your time in your bubble go? Well, um, I was doing a number of jobs. Um, one was writing lectures for Otago University Music Department. Um, I delivered half the lectures face-to-face -face with the students, and then the lockdown occurred, and we had to record everything and then put them up on Blackboard for the students to access in their own time. Um, making recordings of PowerPoint presentations by yourself in your study is a very <laughs> sterile um, experience, and uh, I missed that repartee that you had with between the um, students but in the student feedback being able to answer, answer, answer the question. Did you have pause for laughter into, written into your notes? <laughs> <laughs> no matter, the lighting in my study is always very bad so I, I always look like some sort of recalcitrant drug addict or something, um, bright red face and so on. So that, no matter what, and my, I I had very long hair, so I looked a bit like Phyllis Diller. So <clears throat> it was, um, <laughs> there's nothing I could do to make myself look really presentable, so I just went with it. <laughs> and the view outside your window is, is pretty distracting. 
Yes, the house here is right by the sea. It overlooks the harbour and across to Otago Peninsula. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the uh, projects that I work on as a composer um, dealt specifically with the view from my window. Um, we had had to stay with us last year, uh, Rita Paxian, who's the director of Bach Musica, New Zealand, from Auckland, and her husband, John Green, who is an oboist. And they asked, while they stayed here, they asked if I would write uh, one or two or three pieces for Baroque oboe and harpsichord and cello. So I thought, well, for the lockdown and a view from my window, why not? And that's what I thought I would call the pieces, um, three pieces, um, collectively called uh, Views from My Window. And um, they were things like, the, the first one was um, about the, the harbour at night. <coughs> so um, in, it's called Harbour Moon Shadows, I thought. The music is dark and foreboding and describes the view of the harbour from my window at night. The moon casting shadows across the peninsula and waters and across the trees and shrubs in our garden. And I was working, sometimes I couldn't sleep, get up at night and watch very big moons during lockdown and high tides. The second piece, uh, because we have a, a fountain in the garden, the birds love to bathe in it and, and, and drink. And I've got a nectar feeder in the trees. So they're very busy. But they, I always think that birds seem very well organized. They know what they're doing. They know where they're going. And <clears throat> so I thought, the beautiful weather during lockdown, I called the second piece, Sunburst Choreography of Birds, describing their darting around the garden, the fountain, and surrounding flower beds, creating a sense of orderliness. The third piece was something which at the, at the end of my working day I'd look out and see the sea mists coming up the harbour and so I thought I'd write a wonderful piece to, to end the little trilogy sea mists at dark scene of calm waters um, someone becalmed in a sailing boat um, during lockdown that might have been a bit naughty um, sitting on the reflective <laughs> waters <laughs> So I, I prepared the scores after writing them and just post them by email to the prospective um, performers, and they started learning them straight away. So it's, it's uh, that was a great project. And the beauty about music is that you can perform it too, if necessary, in this situation. But uh, they'll perform it live when once we come out of level uh, at a lower level. So we can't hear that one yet, but we are going to take something else of yours, which we'll play first, and then you can uh, talk about. So we'll play the the battle from Radish and the Shoe. Yes. And so it went, until one beautiful morning, a huge shadow loomed over the book. Everyone gazed upwards and saw scissors.
scissors stabbing down from the sky. Terrified, they all crammed themselves into a corner. But the steel monster had already begun its attack. Roused to bravery, the radish, the shoe and the letters charged against their enemy. Only to be flung aside. Again and again they came back, fighting desperately to save their beloved book. The battle was terrible to behold, but the scissors were incredibly strong and sharp. And most of all, they were ruthless. Soon, there was only a shrieking metallic squeal over the sound of rumpling, crinkling, ripping pages. blades darted from left to right, up and down, cutting, shredding, tearing the book to pieces. Everyone gazed upwards and saw scissors. Yes. So tell us about that. Ah, this was a very important project. Um, I worked on as one of my PhD projects back in 2013. It was recorded in 2014 by New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. And um, we decided to record the narrative in two different languages, in English, I did the English narrative, and in French. And um, a PhD student from France, living in Wellington, um, was the French narrator. He did a fantastic job. Um, the story was written by a French-Canadian artist called Louis Gelbert. About 40 years ago, I was given a book, beautifully illustrated by Louis, about the radish shoe and letters that live in a book happily. One day their, their beautiful home is attacked by a pair of scissors 
and destroys their book, they decide that they would rebuild their book. So they, uh, the, the uh, radish scrubs each page, the shoe dabs some color here and there, and the letters sellotape up the rips and rents. And after a while, when they've finished repairing their book, they look back and suddenly realize that they've created a more beautiful home than it was before it was destroyed. And uh, this has parallels with our life today and what we'll do after lockdown. And I was absolutely delighted um, in, when was it, in April, during the lockdown, um, 15th of April, Radio New Zealand decided to play the work, the recording, English, on their Children's Hour concert program. And it was fitting because it would give people hope, I suppose, during this strange time. And it's a very, um, it's, it's a delightful and fun work, very colourful. It tries to recreate Louise Jalbert's visual images through music, but it has such an important message of rebuilding and survival and being stronger afterwards, um, after the event, the disaster, than they were before. I thought it was really interesting. One of the things I thought was interesting about it is that you do this this creative work and the the machine that you have available to implement it is the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not just sort of like sitting there doodling on something it's oh, here's, the, here's this 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 great piece of music emerging what, what's the what's the feeling of actually hearing it when oh, they take it's, it uh, it's a very long process so once by the time you finish writing it which takes about a year to write a work that's about 16 minutes long or in this case 25 20 minutes long then you have to prepare the score and parts. I submitted it for a composer's recording session with the radio with Radio New Zealand, um, Radio New Zealand Sounds office in Wellington, and New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, and it was it was picked up immediately. And the sound engineer said, "Let's record the narrative separately from the orchestra, and then they will edit it in afterwards." So I initially wanted it. To Therefore, three versions, one in Japanese, one in English, and one in French. But the person who did the Japanese one, unfortunately, their narration was full of mistakes and, and was a very arduous job to edit it in. So we ended up with two. The, so my trip to Wellington involved going to all the recording uh, rehearsals, um, conversing with the uh, conductor, who interprets the score, and so you have to find a happy medium between their their vision and your own, and then with the narrators and and so on, and then the pieces put together, and the editing process took about a year. So by the time it was released for um, the public to listen to, which is anyone can just type in "radish on the shoe" Andrew Perkins, and you can hear it on. Radio New Zealand website or the Sounds website, they can listen to it. Um, and then that, so the recording was 2014. Um, then it became available about 2016. And now here we are in 2020, um, having it aired on the radio at a very, there's a specifically important time, I think, with 
of people. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokudui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha noe, kia koutou, kotaho, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope at this fascinating time that we find ourselves physically manifesting, we're having the best time exploring the world anew. And I hope you're finding many new ways of enjoying who you are, a triumph of nature's art, the product of literally billions of years of co-evolution on this planet, although carbon dating is getting an update and we may discover things are quite different from what we once thought. And I hope that you're really enjoying doing lots of things in new ways and seeing so many new ways in which you can share your unique and precious and perfect self with this lucky world. So now as we find ourselves exploring together further and further afield in level two, I hope that you are seeing lots of ways in which those endings, which I think all of us are experiencing in different ways, have as part of their unfolding new beginnings. And for me today, I had to farewell Waimariye, one of my beautiful hey hey. She returned to the infinite universe, returned to the earth, to Papatonuku today. And this was after several months of being quite unwell and unfortunately having some growths on her kidneys. So we did our best to give her the best possible experience of life and care for her and bring her lovely, yummy, tasty tidbits every day into her whare at Hey Hey HQ and unfortunately for the last few days she's really not felt like doing very much at all except resting and today said her final farewells and all the beautiful times that we've had together I will really treasure. I still feel a connection with her and her presence and I know that all of the beautiful atoms and molecules that made up her exquisite form in returning to the earth, to Papatonuku, will transform and be born again as new life. And I'm really grateful for that. So I think that we're surrounded by these cycles of death and birth and endings and beginnings and these cycles are infinite and eternal so in many ways there is no end there is no beginning it is all one life and i hope that for you if you are having some endings in your life in terms of ways of doing things or roles that you've been in relationships with others that you're also seeing the other side of that which is something new having been made way for this space now for the new to come into your world i've also been spending time with some of my friends who have lost family members over this time and doing my best to share my own experiences uh, of grief and loss and what has helped me and i think for all of us Grief is very tricky to navigate. We're always surprised and learning more about it. 
but the natural world, the real world, the living world has been the greatest comfort to me with my own grieving. And seeing that cycle of renewal all around us at this time as different life forms are starting to slow down and shut down for the winter and other life forms are making the most of the moisture and the chill to spring into being. And of course at this time of year we do see a lot of the unseen universe like our beautiful fungal friends who are wanting to spring forth and make babies. So here we have all this new life that is growing from the decay of other life forms in the leaf litter. And we see this wonderful cycle taking place. These beautiful brightly colored fungi springing up all around us and showing us a much bigger web of life that enables all the plants, of course, to communicate and all of the microorganisms in the soil to do their great work. So these networks of communication and cohabitation, co-evolution and cooperation really comfort me and remind me that when someone I love has returned to the earth, they are in the best hands and I'll see them again in another form very soon. So I hope all is well with you beautiful people and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. What what actual instruments do you play, Andrew? I started my musical career playing the um, piano. My mum always played. And if after dinner, my sister and I, my little brother, uh, would often dance in the room while she played popular songs. She, she'll be coming around the mountain or um, a blue moon, or Robin's return, Norwegian cradle song, any of those she would play. I then picked up the, the piano, had private piano lessons, violin, and I also played the ukulele, that was one of my first instruments, and um, sang as well. I, I did a lot of singing at university and ended up in a church choir, and then I conducted a church choir for 13 years. And that gave me um, time and forced me to learn more about early music, uh, medieval and Renaissance music. And as a composer, I started drawing on the materials that I was teaching. And I therefore tend to look at historical nodal points of innovation and reinterpret the facets of that um, language, musical language in my own way as a way forward as a composer in the 21st century. So I describe myself as a, as a beyond postmodernist composer. <laughs> <laughs> So do you, when you're composing, like, um, and you gave you a list of instruments that you play, you don't play the oboe, but you can write for oboe. So does the oboe sing in your mind? Yes, 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 yes. So listening to a piece coming into your head is a bit like um, having, uh, listening to the radio and having something um, appearing in the ether. Um, the, the problem is that it arrives all at once. So you've got to, You've got to pick out all the strands one by one, and it really, it's like weaving a Persian carpet. You think, okay, I've got the oboe here, and then I can hear something else happening on top of that. So you end up with a um, a web of sound that all go together. 
So you have to learn about the ranges of the instruments and their timbre and their color and learn how to, it, it's a very three-dimensional sound painting, I suppose is the best way to describe it. I like but, that description a lot. Yes, yes. The other uh, project I did while, during the lockdown was um, collaboration with another local performer, uh, Kesa Romano, who is the new singing lecturer at Otago University. And she was intrigued with the musical language that I was producing because it was more akin to the style that she was looking to she was sing because her husband is from an Indian background and a lot of the the musical materials I use are from India or um, Arabia or um, even Indonesia, um, very ancient cultures. And her husband, Rushi, had written a series of poems about his father's death. And so I decided to have a look at the poems. He asked me, would I consider setting some? So after looking at them, I thought, well, they're not personal poems. They're more universal. I think they are important, um, even though they're on the subject of the death of a, a family member they do approach it in a very universal way. So I found myself getting three of these poems for mezzo-soprano, um, bass clarinet, cello, and the uh, Indian drone instrument, the tambura. Mm. So I finished that score and I then, um, because we couldn't meet, I had to send Tessa the scores via email. And we started singing, learning the songs at home and rushing sharing his poetry set to music for the first time. They came to dinner the other night, and what was interesting, they, they both brought up the subject. Um, because of the personal element of the music, Tessa said that she is going to have to really know the music very, really well to be able to control her emotions. Because about the um, her husband's father's death, and Roshi likewise said the same. That, that, and I thought that was a very interesting um, problem for a, a singer. And I think it's not one that is uh, she's alone with. Many performers become emotionally involved in the music they're performing, and they have to control not only their intellect and the, and the way that they. They interpret the music, but also their emotions. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hey there, bubble peeps. What's happening? It's Liesel here and uh, having a wonderful day. Hope you are too. Uh, regardless of what the weather might be doing, regardless of what might be happening outside of your zone, your bubble, because we kind of still have bubbles, don't we, in, in lots of ways. We're just um, expanding them a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but thinking again about that sort of positive angle on life, which I like to sort of, um, you know, talk about, um, encourage people to think about, and... Uh, support people in their their positive thinking um, I guess like whatever kind of day you want to have go out and make that happen so today I was having that kind of thought 
earlier today, earlier this morning when I was thinking, okay, so ah, there's five billion reasons I could make up to have a bit of a crappy old day today, um, but actually, who's in charge of that? And it's me. So do I want to have a crappy day or would I like to have an amazing day? And you know what? I just reprogrammed myself in that moment and I was like, today is going to be a great day and it has been a lovely day so far. So I hope you're having one of those kinds of days too. And if not, stop and think, well, what kind of day do I want to have? What can I do differently about the way I'm thinking? What can I change about my own approach to this day that might make it a better day? And often it's just that cog changing. I used to think of it kind of like changing gears in a car when, um, not that many people drive manuals anymore, but... um, (laughs) The old manual car, when uh, sometimes you'd crunch it a little bit, if you're changing down to second gear and you didn't quite have the clutch in far enough, it's kind of that crunching feeling, or maybe, I know old V-dubs, they had a really weird reversing system, didn't they? Like you had to push a totally different way from the way that you would in a normal manual car. So um, it's kind of like a push down and then shove right over and forward rather than back. Yeah, that's not making an awful lot of sense, but Visualise with me folks, visualise the changing of gears with a slight crunch to it. That's how I've always felt about starting off in a bad mood and changing it to a good mood or starting off feeling negative about things and forcing myself to think a little more positively. And um, yeah, I know I've talked about this a few times before, but I'm going to keep talking about it because I think it's really important stuff. And I think the more kind of angles you can come at this from, you know, so today it's going to be the driving angle. Um, Maybe something resonates with different people. Maybe something makes sense. And um, maybe something's helpful in terms of giving you some tools to, I don't know, work with what you've got in front of you. And sometimes we've got no control over that. And it can be really tough. Uh, So I'm not saying that life is an easy one. But I am saying that the toolkit that we bring to it can ultimately change the way life rolls for you. And it's weird how when you start acting in that positive way, using that positive charge, how people positively charge back to you. And... um, I, I think I said in one of the one of the earlier conversations we had about smiling at people and I was having one of those days today actually where I went to the cafe and I do love going back to the cafe, it's so exciting and it's a cafe that, you know, but like Cheers where everyone knows your name and it's kind of lovely because they know what I have to drink and they, you know, have little conversations with me and I feel like I'm a special human being because, you know, you're seen, you're you're responded to, people are calling you by your name. So it does feel like I'm meeting up with old friends rather than just buying a coffee from strangers, which is lovely. And yeah, I looked around the cafe and there were a few familiar faces that I'd seen over lockdown just, you know, nearby or people that I recognised from the cafe from before lockdown and We smiled at each other like we were kind of old buddies, like, oh, back at the cafe, yeah, me too, you know. And you don't know people, but in that moment, you bond, you find a connection, you feel that sort of positive charge going out, and it comes straight back at you. And I just felt 
yeah, really lifted up by just going to the cafe today and having some smiley, positive interaction. So sometimes it's that simple, sometimes it's not, but it's definitely a good place to start. So crunch those gears and try to get us from the, yeah, slightly maybe negative space into a more positive one. And um, you may find that that really works out for you. (laughs) Anyway, lovely to chat. You take care out there and we'll talk soon. Andrew, have you ever met Judy Bellingham? Uh, I've I have met her in a in a very um, broad social context, but not not personally been introduced to her. Uh, but we do have friends in common. Yes, uh, she um she was my high school music teacher. I went to high school in Darfield, and she landed there um, at Darfield High School, and um, was the most extraordinary influence in my life. And I can probably credit every success I've had since high school um, with her, to her and um, how she taught me and inspired me and um, loved me at a time where love was in very short supply. Yes, that's, that's a lovely story. And I think it um, demonstrates how important music is as a healing tool in people's lives. Um, I, my private music teacher only passed away a couple of years ago, um, but she taught me right from the age of six until I left home to go to university at 17. And then she came to all my pre- some of my premieres. Um, and uh, she was important because she, as a, as a musician and music teacher, she imbued a sense of logic and uh, as well as it was a way of controlling the emotional aspect of things. And I think sometimes we need that, that love, but also we need to know how to focus it and um, to, to find ourselves again, I suppose, and to move on in life. It takes a lot of courage to move on in life sometimes uh, in the strange world of adversity and, and so on. Can I just um, take that? Today, today, can I just take that strange world of adversity? Can I just take that back to something you said earlier, where you talked about how your characters or the characters in the radish and the shoe emerged from the into a more beautiful world than what they started in? And yes. I just we're asking people what they have noticed about this time of lockdown and recovery. Um regeneration what societal changes do they think will stick and what do they what do you hope will stick i hope something happens similar to something that happened in in a work that i wrote last and was premiered last year in fact exactly the 26th of may last year it was being performed in auckland um a musical called the birds and based on Aristophanes' play, and it deals with two characters who leave Athens because they're brassed off with the um, government and the way of life and, and the destruction of the ecology, and they decide to try and find um, a magical bird figure called Popo um, to... Uh, they want to become a bird. They want to become birds. They want to find a new way of life. 
anyway, to cut a long story short, they, they do meet the birds and they have a wonderful dis idea of building cloud cuckoo land in the sky. And in our modern version of the libretto written by Rachel Le Rossignol, um, she reinterprets Aristophanes' story, um, describing the Zeus and the other gods as, as very bad corporate people. Um, and to, at, the end of the, at the end of the play, um, sovereignty is released from Zeus's and democracy descends upon the planet again. And the birds say that we once ruled the earth before humans arrived. Now we'll have to try and do it co-jointly and fairly so that we protect the world that we live in. And I think that coming out of the COVID situation, we have to look at what, what did we learn that's so important about the lockdown, for instance, um, and being able to take time out and to rediscover the most important things in life, like family. It's uh, not all about work and making money. It's the opposite of that. And perhaps society has to, the way that we do operate on this planet has to completely change. Um, getting rid of um, neoliberalism and creating a, a life that's, that's the opposite how we live today, possibly. We do have to address it, though, and especially the ecology, um, because the virus has come from somewhere. And um, I think we have to look after the home that we live in, just as the Radicals do rebuilt their home carefully and made it more beautiful. We have to, make, we have to look after our planet and the air that we breathe. Otherwise, we'll become sick. Hmm. So we're going to take the final chorus, the bird's final chorus. Ah, yes. This is where sovereignty has been released and the final of harmony and peace.
I remember not so long ago Jack asking me if I would rather be blind or deaf. And I said to him, I've seen his face now, so blind I would live with. Deaf I couldn't. I couldn't imagine not having music in my life. Yes, that's a hard one. I think I would... Um... I, I wouldn't want to lose either, but I think the losing vision would be, for me, more difficult because I can still hear things in my head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got a fabulous garden. Yes, uh, that's the other activity we did during the lockdown. We go out and weed, clean the fountain. The fountain was in, in, in great use. The bird life, was phenomenal. I think there there were um, I've never seen so many birds before in the garden. Uh, lots and lots of tuis and bellbirds and little wax eyes and finches and things. I've I've built uh, a nectar feeder. It must hold about two or three liters of nectar, and it hangs in a big ash tree. And uh, it, it in the in the winter season they can empty that in one day. Hmm. Which is a phenomenal amount of <laughs> um but they 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 were always very busy in the garden flying around and so when we first arrived um the whole garden was overgrown with with weeds and rubbish trees the birds had had introduced. We had to cut back Tarzan strength ivy with um trunks that looked more like tree trunks. And we, Martin and I spent a, a good four or five months just soaring every early each morning, working from six in the morning till six at night, filling up skip after skip, three truckloads, three big giant skips full of junk. And then we discovered the bones of the garden, the original gar garden, garden's edges. Um, we worked out which trees are the oldest and the most original, original planted. We found ancient roses that started blooming in winter because they had been, they'd suddenly got something. And it looked like a person. If you, if you remove the clutter in their life and water them and nurture them, they spring to life. And I think that's what it's like with stu teaching students is a bit like that. You, you, um, you, you just you, you give them what they want or they need. If they don't have any information on a certain thing, you provide it for them. Or you, you find, a, find different ways of teaching the same material to suit all the different learning points um, and do it patiently. Um, I, I, that's what I like about the birds. The birds, for me, was a teaching tool. I decided to create a musical for young people to perform. So it's not difficult music to perform. Um, to have Bach music perform it was fantastic. But it gives us a good model for school based their performances on. When the, when concert radio was threatened, it was interest, and they were talking about using its frequency for youth radio. It was remarkable how many young people came out and said, "No, this is youth radio." Yes. Yeah. It's because the concert program is so diverse. It's not just Mozart and Bach. It's Renaissance music, medieval music. It's it's international music. It's Indonesian music. It's Indian music. It's modern jazz. It's historic jazz. It's um, the latest 
the latest uh, compositions, it's the oldest compositions, it's everything. Um, there are wonderful programs on the radio about the correlation between art and music and architecture. Um, it just, the list goes on and on. Uh, who would, on, in their right mind, would want to get rid of something that's so precious and multidimensional? So we have some questions to end with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, uh, the, the, the biggest success as far as work is concerned, do you mean? Anything or you like. Personal success. My biggest success, I think, is, is finally having the time to write and in create the environment I want to work in. Uh, we both do that together, Martin and I and um, create a place where one can work and also share ideas with other artists and writers who come and stay here or come to dinner. Um, we, this, this year, we, we were asked if we would open our garden for a garden tour, um, a, a, group, a list of gardens in the area, which we agreed to. I didn't think we'd have anyone come to see the garden. Um, during the first hour, we had two or three people and then suddenly, during the course of the day, we had over 100 people. So. Well. And then come and stand and just stand there for half an hour, not doing or saying or moving. They just stand and reflect and look at the water in the fountain and just uh, watch the birds with around. I think that's our, our biggest success collectively is that, creating an environment we can share with others and where we can work. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Mawira's Doctorate, but also, <laughs> but also, it's called Tomorrow's Heroes. The collection of people, the team of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's the superpower that's got you there? Really, <laughs> um, the, the superpower that's um, my love of what I do. I think and. Um, creating creating musical works that, that many people might want to listen to or many people can become involved in. Sometimes new music uh, is so elusive that people um, cannot find a way into it. And I think I've always resisted writing what I call picking fuck out of one's navel music or poetry. But... Uh, <laughs> Allowing people signposts into your own sound world. Um, yes, I focus again on on melodic line, design of melodic line, um, and color in music. And I want to lure people into the world as a form of escapism. I don't want them to be repelled. Uh, I want to challenge them sometimes, but I think it's it's a sound world I want to share. I don't want to repel people. It's not for me. It's a sound world for others. So in that sound world and where that sound world fits into the real world, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes, I've always been a political activist. And most of my works I've written, for instance, um, I collaborated with the wonderful Hone Tufare, um, back in the early 80s, writing a work called Requiem for Peace. And mm. he was delighted with 
the the, asp, the, the fact that I, as a composer, I, I managed to grasp what he was trying to say in his poetry. And I um, set it for mezzo-soprano and orchestra, but in between, I interpolated bits out of the Requiem Mass in Latin for a choir. And he loved the juxtaposition. And uh, he came to the performance. And, and also, I took him up to walk with my alma mater as far as high schools are concerned. And um, he said he wanted to go to my school where I'd grown up and were all day poetry reading. And in the, in the evening, we would have a special uh, seminar for, for people in the community to come and listen to him talking about the poetry. And I would talk about a little bit about the Requiem for Peace and would hear the recording. I walked past the library during the day and the poor man, he spent all day reading poetry to, to the children, to the high school kids. You could have heard a pin drop. They were absolutely transfixed. I've never seen anything so mesmerizing. And he he had boundless energy. It was amazing. Another work I've written with uh, when I was working with the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra, their composer in residence, was a symphony with a German text all about the um, um, the abuse of power and how that affects people in our world. Uh, it's a very expressionist work, but a very political one, nevertheless. How the fact that humans never learn from their mistakes. They seem to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And uh, I hope that after this COVID experience, we won't forget, we'll remember what happened here. And I hope we remember how to stop it from happening again. If we have the courage. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the the next couple of years? I would like to work with young people more, um, but specifically an, a new project, which, which is, will be a setting of Maori poetry for voice and or choir and orchestra. Um, my problem will be now, what will life be like after COVID? But I might have to think more in, in terms of, um, for the moment, for voice and, and piano or something. But I still would like to work with a young um, a young person um, who can write Māori poetry. And uh, of course, I want their, their energy to be, the, uh, the energy they reflect, their, their youthful vision um, as a way forward, I think. That was one of the projects. It's just, it's just finding that person. Um, so, if you've come across anyone who's talented writing poetry, a universal poetry about their their own country and about importance of the land, the the water, the sky, um, is most important because these are this is our environment, and it's an environment which the international scene is is scrutinising very very carefully. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Enjoy life. Um, go out there and don't be afraid to accept any challenges. Take any opportunity that comes up and just enjoy life. Never be afraid to take up any opportunity that comes up. 
Mawera in 30 seconds. Um, I say here, here, Andrew. That is the best advice ever. Fabulous. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was really lovely. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us in your favourite poddy sorts of places as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Manon-Sawyers, Bayed in Eden, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and Andrew Perkins in St Leonard's. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.